This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, a special focus on Venezuela, with President Hugo Chavez in Cuba receiving cancer treatments during an election year. Questions about the state of Venezuelan politics have most of Latin America buzzing. We'll look for some answers. But first, Vanessa Jesus Gonzati joins us for our weekly roundup of news from around Latin America. First Lady and Secretary of Social Inclusion in El Salvador, Vanda Piñado, says political parties still close of power to women in El Salvador. But she believes that it is not only the politicians' responsibility, but that the education system should also promote inclusion. I think the universities have an essential role because in order to get political classes to change their mindsets and promote women's participation, there first has to be debate. If parties don't do it, universities should and be a center for thinking about that topic. Women do not get the same treatment at universities either. Pignato spoke at the Inter-American Dialogue in Washington, D.C. while promoting Ciudad Mujer. Ciudad Mujer is the project that she leads and that has helped about 17,000 women in areas such as gender equality, domestic violence, and political participation. Colombia's chief prosecutor resigned after a court ruled her designation was invalid. Vivian Morales was elected by Colombia's Supreme Court in December 2010 from a number of candidates proposed by President Juan Manuel Santos. But a different court, the Council of State, ruled that Morales did not get the required number of votes. She has been under intense scrutiny since she married a former congressman with ties to drug lords. Morales has also led prosecution of a number of former President Álvaro Uribe's close associates on corruption and criminal conspiracy charges. Meanwhile, Colombia's chief prosecutor's office will seek bribery charges against two people who served under former President Uribe's administration. The prosecutor accused them of manipulating the electoral system to ensure Uribe could run for re-election. If former Interior Minister Sabas Pretelt and Labor Minister Diego Palacios are convicted, they could face up to eight years in prison. The prosecutor's office says the two men bribed a congresswoman to switch her vote in favor of a law in 2004 that allowed Uribe to run for a second consecutive term. They both deny offering her political favors in return for her vote. Venezuelan journalists were attacked last weekend at an opposition political rally. Armed men wearing red shirts, usually associated with supporters of President Hugo Chavez, stole the equipment of a reporter and a cameraman. The armed men chased them into a private home where they had taken refuge after shooting erupted at the rally. The two journalists work for the privately owned and openly critical news network Globovisión. Even though the rally was in support of opposition candidate Enrique Capriles Radonsky, the Venezuelan justice minister says the opposition is behind the gunfire attacks. The imprisoned brother of Peru's president was transferred from a high-security prison to a military facility Monday. His lawyer says that, according to reports, Antauro Humala was at risk of being kidnapped during a prison riot by inmates who belonged to the Shining Path group. The transfer caused complaints among Peruvians, who claimed preferred treatment due to his family bond with President Ollanta Humala. This is Vanessa Jesus Gonzari reporting for Latin Pulse. 
Thanks, Vanessa. And now our first in-depth interview on the state of Venezuelan politics. Joining us today is Dr. Jennifer McCoy of the Carter Center in Georgia State University, the author of the recent book, International Mediation in Venezuela. Welcome to Latin Pulse. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Uh, You have recently come back from observing the national primary, something completely new in Venezuela that we've talked about a number of times on this particular program. What are your insights from watching that particular process? Well, it was unprecedented in that several different um, political parties, all of those in the opposition, joined together to have an open primary vote. Any Venezuelan registered citizen could vote to choose a single opposition candidate to run against President Chavez in the presidential elections coming up in October 7th. And what I saw was um, an enthusiastic participation by those who voted. About 3 million out of 18 million uh, voters participated. It was peaceful. It was also an unusual collaboration between the opposition parties who organized the vote and the National Electoral Council, which is an entity of the government, which provided the support for the automated voting machines to conduct the vote and count the results. So that was a a very positive and unusual collaboration. And also with the participation of the military, the armed forces, which traditionally in Venezuela provide the security for elections. We've had a lot of discussion on this program about these elections and how important they are, not just for Venezuela, but for all of Latin America because of the presence of Hugo Chavez in the region. So can you give us a bit of a prediction looking forward? What what are the important things for us to watch in these intervening months between now and October? Sure. We, we're, we've now um, seen 13 years of the Chavez administration and his um, efforts that he calls the Bolivarian Revolution to bring about Uh, deep change to the Venezuelan um, polity and economy and social relationships. And this will be uh, another decision point for Venezuelans, whether to continue forward with that Bolivarian revolution and the economic policies that he refers to as 21st century socialism, or whether to make a change. There are a number of uncertainties now um, that we'll have to keep watching, and it's very difficult to make any predictions at this point. One of those, of course, is the health of the president, and that is uh, quite uncertain at this moment. We don't have a lot of information. Uh, Another is that uh, one basis for making predictions is looking at the previous election. The last one was in 2010, which was a National Assembly vote. If you look at the popular votes in that election, you see that the population was just about evenly divided among those who voted for candidates of the government and those who voted for other candidates uh, opposing the government. So it is likely that this could be a very competitive race this year in a close election, um, and with the possibility, of course, of a transition to a new leadership. You're the political scientist, so you can inform us on this. So looking at those three million votes, that's not necessarily predictive of the opposition turnout in the full election. No, um, the opposition last time in 2010 got closer to 5.7 million votes. And so I don't think that this is indicative of of the numbers that they will necessarily get. Um, Typically, people tend to vote 
in many much higher numbers in a national election rather than a primary election. What are the prospects if President Chavez is not able to go forward? Um, he's still in Cuba as we record this particular interview dealing with his cancer. Um, what would happen if he were not able to participate in this election? Do you have some thoughts on this? Sure. Um, up to now, he has not designated a potential successor. He has you know, been um, running with the, the, the belief and the commitment that he himself will be able to run. The Constitution does provide for certain things, though. The, these are six-year presidential terms in Venezuela. If a president is incapacitated or has to leave office within the first four years of his term, the Constitution calls for new elections. That is, the vice president doesn't fill out the term. If the president is incapacitated in the last two years of a term, then the vice president fills out that term. And, of course, then there'd be the regularly scheduled elections after that. So it all depends on timing, whether or not the president is able to campaign and to participate in the election in October, whether if he wins he's able to take office. Um, different scenarios would, would fold out depending on the timing of any possible incapacitation. Enrique Capriles Radonsky is, is the candidate for the opposition. Um, he comes from a media family. I'm wondering if this is going to be a repeat of what we've seen in the past in Venezuela. It's Hugo Chavez and the poor against the elite and against the media. Is, is that the frame or is that different in this election? Well, I think that's the frame that President Chavez is presenting. The choice that he's presenting is from continuing with the revolution, with the change to a true democracy, with the change towards socialism and nationalism that he represents. And he's presenting his opponent as, as a return to the past of rule by the oligarchy and too much influence from the United States. The opposition candidate, Kapriles Radonsky, is presenting himself as a candidate of national unity, of reconciliation, of overcoming the divisions of this last decade, and actually of continuity in the pro-poor policy. So he's been working very hard to reach out to the lower classes and to reach out into the neighborhoods and to build a political base. So we'll have to see how successful he is, but he is presenting that as his alternative message. Is it possible for an equitable run-up to this election, even if Capriles has the newspapers behind him and some of the media, there's been this pressure from the Chavez government against the media, uh, the fine in particular against Global Vision within the past six months, and, and the past history of closing down of networks or at least moving them off of terrestrial signals, making them harder for people to see. So given this history that, that we've had in the process, is it possible for him to have an equal shot? I think both sides will definitely be able to get their message out. There is still a diverse media in Venezuela. Uh, it's true there's been a change in the balance. When Hugo Chavez was first elected, the media was controlled by the private sector, four major TV stations as well as radio and, and newspapers. And the public station at that time was weak and had very small audience. Now the government does control more television stations and radio, but there's still a very strong um, private sector media. And 
with mar- with very large market share. So I think that both candidates will definitely be able to get their message out. The president does have one advantage, and that is that he uh, can command uh, broadcasting of his presidential speeches, which have tended to be quite long and take up quite a bit of airspace. So he does have that advantage over the opposition candidate. Here in the United States, speaking of media, media tend to paint Hugo Chavez in a particular way. Uh, political candidates also paint him in a particular way. Uh, some people in this country tend to compare him to the Castro brothers in Cuba, and he's painted often as a dictator. What is your perception of the reality of that political situation? Well, I think the reality is much more complex. And when he was elected in 1998, he really represented a deep demand for change among the Venezuelan population. He was elected with 54% of the vote. He had higher than 80% approval ratings when he first came into office. So there was a, a, a real deep desire for change in Venezuela. He has brought about some of that change. He has reduced poverty to a great extent. Um, he's provided a number of benefits using oil revenues, uh, health benefits, education benefits, housing benefits to people who didn't have good access to those previously. On the other hand, he's also concentrated power. Um, the separation of powers has eroded, and uh, his you know his personal um, influence within the government is extremely strong. So I think it's a complex picture and that the picture we get outside of the country and often even inside uh, to make it a black or white thing is um, is insufficient and um, doesn't adequately help to inform people about the situation. The picture that we've painted on this program in the past has been that Venezuela remains a democratic system but that sometimes President Chavez has autocratic tendencies. Does that paint that picture in a complex enough way for you or how would you alter that description? Well, the the first basis of democracy are elections, and it, the uh, electoral system and the elections throughout the last 13 years um, have never proven to be fraudulent. So I think that the electoral legitimacy is quite strong, and there is once again uh, a fairly strong confidence in the electoral system, which was was weakened in, around the 2004-2005 period. So the electoral legitimacy is strong. Um, the, let's say, social policy and performance legitimacy has been strong in terms of redistributive policies and including a number of marginalized people who had been excluded from the benefits and the, the riches of the country in the past. The political uh, participation has also expanded in terms of ways that people can participate in politics in the local neighborhoods and in a number of referenda, for example. But the traditional sort of liberal political procedural um, aspects uh, in terms of separation of powers and independent judiciary uh, are the things that have been weakened in Venezuela. And that's what people tend to focus on when they talk about uh, an erosion of some democratic uh, elements. Is your feeling that during the 40 years preceding Chavez of what some people call the model democracy, during that particular period, were those institutions, uh, the National Assembly, the judicial institutions, were those equal players in the system, or hasn't Venezuela always had a strong center? It has definitely always had a strong center. It's always been a presidentialist uh, system. There were different, 
there's always been political influence of the, the parties, the political parties, over all of the institutions, including the military, uh, including the courts. But previously, there were two main political parties. Now there's one, and now there's one single leader who dominates that political party. So that's the difference. Care to give us any prediction looking ahead? It's very difficult to predict, but I expect that this could be a very competitive election. Um, not, you know, not trying to predict about the wild cards, the health uh, of the president in particular, but I think this will be a very exciting year to watch in Venezuela uh, with the possibility of uh, a close race and that we should all pay close attention. Dr. Jennifer McCoy of the Carter Center, Georgia State University, and the co-author of the new International Mediation in Venezuela, thank you for joining us today on Latin Balls. Thank you so much. I want to finish and then go to to be able to and have my parents couldn't have I'll even make because I know it's the best thing I can do for my I want to finish school and then go to college to be able to graduate and have the future my parents couldn't have I'll even make sacrifices because I know that going to college is the best thing I can do for my future it takes the words of a parent to build the future of a child. The Hispanic Scholarship Fund has the tools and information to help your kids go to college. It's free, and it's available in Spanish. Remember, their tomorrow depends on your words today. Visit yourwordstoday.org or call 1-877-HSF-8711. Sponsored by the Hispanic Scholarship Fund and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This week, as we continue our special focus on Venezuela, we feature another in-depth conversation with Alex Main of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C. Last time you were here, we were talking about Venezuelan politics, and um, we had to leave off with this postscript about the fact that Venezuelan politics also has a lot to do with U.S. politics during an election year. Um, what do you think we'll see this year? Or, or can maybe you summarize some of what we've already seen from Republican candidates and how they approach U.S. relations with Venezuela under the Obama administration? Well, I'm fearful that uh, Venezuela will be used as political football in, uh, in the campaign here. Um, it already has been to some extent uh, while um, you know, the Republicans had the primary in, in Florida um, there was a great deal of Venezuela coming up and Venezuela's influence and, and Venezuela sort of being represented as, uh, you know, as a sort of Soviet Union, really, of the region um, and the, the, the bogeyman that, um, you know, that Obama isn't dealing with. And I, I'm fearful that that's going to be the case again um, in just a few months, really, um, in April uh, there will be a summit in Cartagena, Colombia. It is the Summit of the Americas, in which um, typically almost every head of state of um, the whole hemisphere, Latin America, the Caribbean, uh, North America, with the U.S. and Canada, uh, is present. Um, certainly that was the case three years ago in the summit in Trinidad. And in the summit in, uh, in Trinidad three years ago, there was a rather famous handshake and exchange of smiles between President Chavez and President Obama, um, where President Obama 
seemed to be seeking to put into practice his policy of reaching out to the U.S.'s enemies or perceived enemies and sort of being willing to talk to everyone. And there was a great deal of backlash, both from uh, Republicans and from some of the more right-wing media, certainly, you know, Fox News and that sort of thing uh, here in the U.S. And it'll be interesting to see what will be happening uh, this uh, coming April when the summit repeats itself and where President Obama and President Chavez have both expressed their intention of uh, participating. Will there be another handshake? Will there be smiles again? Um, is it something that President Obama will dare do uh, in the midst of uh, a heated campaign where he'll be attacked on his, uh, again, sort of perceived foreign policy softness uh, by the Republicans? Uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what, what comes up at that time. I anticipate that Republicans will be um, focusing on Venezuela um, as they have in the past um, and using it as an indication that things have gotten out of hand in Latin America and uh, President Obama hasn't taken sort of a firm stand and, and really dealt with it as he should. Um, and, uh, and therefore, uh, he'll be attacked uh, and uh, he will probably respond, um, as he often does, um, to attacks of this sort by sort of trying to assert himself on the foreign policy agenda and, and being more of a hardliner towards Venezuela and so on. And so that could lead to things really heating up um, as well between uh, the Obama administration and Venezuela uh, at an interesting time when there are presidential elections in both countries. I want to get back to this heating up process, but I'm glad you made the, the analogy between um, characterizations of the Soviet Union and characterizations of Venezuela now in Republican rhetoric and other rhetoric in, in the United States. But there have been um, human rights groups and, and other groups that have criticized the Venezuelan government for its record on free speech and some of the other parts of, of um, what we might characterize as a social democracy um, that people don't think are, are working exactly the way that, that a democracy should. The, uh, criticizing Chavez for what people might call autocratic tendencies? Well, certainly um, in our prior, um, on, on the prior show in which I participated, we talked about Chavez's blustery style. Uh, and, um, you know, that um, is what comes across often in, in the media and gives the impression uh, that he is an autocratic ruler. Uh, but I think you have to separate the, the rhetoric really, from what's going on politically in the country. Um, are there political prisoners? Certainly, Amnesty International has never indicated that there are. Um, are there human rights problems? Uh, yes, there are. There are human rights concerns. Um, uh, there is, uh, for instance, you know, very corrupt um, police uh, in, in Venezuela. There's a great deal of police brutality. Um, and you also have some free speech issues, certainly, I think, where some journalists have been um, accused of libel and so on and had to deal with um, probably pretty unfair judicial pursuit uh, and that sort of thing. But really, on the whole, when you look at Venezuela, and there are some definite concerns, and it's not something that should simply uh, be sort of pushed away and, and, uh, and relativized completely, but you do see... Um, you know, similar things in other countries in the region. And if you look through the reports, say, of Human Rights Watch, 
this is very clear. You, you see very similar concerns in various countries. What tends to happen, however, is that um, whenever there is uh, a human rights uh, problem um, that is you know, denounced by any human rights group in Venezuela, that gets blown up uh, to an extraordinary degree uh, in the media and so on. And they tend to sort of neglect um, some of the problems that are taking place uh, elsewhere in, let's say, countries that are more friendly to uh, the U.S., uh, like Colombia um, and Peru. Um, and Chile and other countries, where there are also some um, very deep human rights concerns. And, and we've dealt with some of those on this program in the past, too, uh, not just problems in, in Venezuela when we talk about um, free speech issues, um, but there has been this issue recently of uh, Global Vision and the fine of $2 million toward them that it, I think has raised some concerns about opposition media in the country and whether this is an, another attempt to to push um, opposition television network off the air. Um, this raises international concerns when those sorts of things happen. Well, certainly, um, and Globovision is still broadcasting. Um, arguably, uh, they have um, had to deal with a lot of um, judiciary pursuits um, that could be seen as, as a form of judicial persecution. Um, it's 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 not very clear. Um, I think you know one of the big problems with the Venezuelan judiciary is the amount of murkiness there. But the fact is, um, you know, I'm glad you do mention some of these uh, private media. They're they're often characterized as opposition media, which is which is an interesting concept in itself. I don't think um, in many countries in the U.S. or in Europe uh, you really hear the concept of opposition media, although perhaps uh, it is applied to, say, Fox News with regard to uh, the Obama administration and so on. But it certainly is true in Venezuela that you have a private media that is um, very opposition-oriented, very, very critical of the government. And I think it's one thing that can surprise people who, um, you know, have sort of seen the portrait of Venezuela um, where there's this idea for a lot of people that there is no free speech, period, to go to Venezuela, switch on the TV, and, and see anti-Chavez tirades uh, pretty much all day long. Um, so I think that's something to take into account. Um, it's important, I think, for your listeners to be aware that, um, you know, despite, you know, certainly some problems, uh, despite, um, you know, the government perhaps taking uh, a very hard line towards some of this opposition media, um, there is a great deal of media freedom in Venezuela today. And yes, the state media um, apparatus has grown over the last few years, and they have uh, various TV channels, uh, they have various uh, radio, um, uh, radio shows as well. But um, what you tend to see, and we actually did a study on this at the Center for Economic and Policy Research, is that they do not have uh, a, a big audience. Um, the uh, majority of the audience, something like 95% of the Venezuela radio and television audience, um, is actually listening and viewing um, private uh, media outlets. Um, and so, though there is a strong, a rather large um, uh, state media apparatus, um, it doesn't have strong viewership. Um, it doesn't have many listeners. Let's go back to what you talked about, the, the process between the United States 
and Venezuela, election years in both countries, and the heated rhetoric between. Is there a potential for a misstep on one side or the other? And any thoughts about where we should be watching with caution for where that misstep might happen? Well, yeah, I I do think, unfortunately, there's a huge potential for missteps um, because neither country, uh, it seems, and this has been the case for a while now, really values um, relations with the other. Obama's handshake, not enough in that regard. No, I think uh, handshakes and nice words, um, you know, are one thing, and and real policies are another. And the policies uh, of the U.S. towards Venezuela and towards a lot of Latin America have really not changed since the Bush administration. Well, Alex Main, thank you for joining us again on Latin Pulse. Alex Main of the Economic and Policy, uh, the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Thank you. Thank you. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or on Facebook. Or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Vanessa Jesus Gonzati and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2012, Las Rocas Productions.